Okay, friends, we here at the Lucky Few Podcast are huge fans of Jonas Paul Eyewear for Kids. Why? So many reasons. One of my favorite is they deliver their home try-on kits straight to our door, which I'm going to share a little bit more about those later in the episode. They are super affordable, and they give my kiddo, Sweet Mason Hope, the absolutely stylish glasses a girl can have, and she loves them. Visit JonasPaulEyewear.com today. And use promo code THELUCKYFEW to get 15% off your first order. Hey friends, welcome to the Lucky Few podcast, where we are shifting the narrative by shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome. This is Heather, Mercedes, and Micah. This season, we are going deep on what it means to own your influence, to shout the worth of people with Down syndrome in the spaces that you inhibit. And we are celebrating people in our community who are using their voices in their own spaces. Today, we are so excited to be introducing you to Tesney Davis, mom to two little boys. Her almost 13-year-old Kirill has a dual diagnosis of Down syndrome and autism. And she has a remarkable adoption story we can't wait to talk about. Tesney has become an important voice for the families who are holding both the Down syndrome and autism diagnosis. And we're so grateful that she's sharing her story of life with Kirill so we can all learn and follow their experience together. That's right. So we're going to be talking about the dual diagnosis and what it has looked like for Tesney to shout the worth of her son in her spaces. And we absolutely cannot wait. So welcome to the Lucky Few Podcast. All right, people. So we're here to talk Down syndrome and autism here at the Lucky Few Podcast. Um, Ladies, what do you know about a dual diagnosis? Hmm. You know, honestly, I I didn't know much. I kind of spent a little bit of time researching before this, um, before recording this. Um, And I found an article that said around 16 to 19% of children with Down syndrome also have autism spectrum disorder and that eight to nine percent have autism and uh, honestly that's a much higher number than I had assumed Mm. before Mm. I I think too for me personally as Sunny um and her friends that we've kind of done therapies together they're turning like five and four and five years old um in my little community is starting to pop up a little bit more mm. and um you know and it's like it's a, a part of a lot of families that have now been a part of my community through instagram and it feels like something we just don't really talk about much and mm-hmm. um i don't know why do you guys think that is i think so part of it and i want and we'll get to this on this episode i hope um I think there's a fear about it. I think, I mean, I've, I've known when I interact with people who are having new babies, it's like, oh my gosh, but what if they have autism? It's like autism, leukemia, those are the, or, or your child with Down syndrome passing away um, mm. at a young age. I think that that's, those things are like fearful. Like mm. it, we're so yeah. terrified that our child is also going to have an autism diagnosis. I think there's that. It seems like too, it's pretty new. Mm-hmm. In the last 10 years, the doctors have even been giving the diagnosis. So um, people will say, you know, from what I've heard, and again, I don't know a lot, so I'm excited for Tesney to, to educate all of us a little mm-hmm. bit more. But there's a lot of like, well, there's similar attributes. So people with on the autism spectrum might have um, sensory issues and kids with Down syndrome do. So, you know, right. we don't really know what's what's what. Um, yeah. But then there's also the idea of like, well, all people with Down syndrome are social, you know, and good right. at, at interacting and people with autism aren't. And so there's like those big umbrella statements that really kind of box in a whole mm-hmm. people group that there is, I guess there's a space for them, but we have to be careful how liberally we use them or how we let them um, kind of take over our understanding of an entire people group or a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. My, the answer mm. is, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I say all why. that to say this. I don't know <laughs> why. Yeah. I think it is, it is dangerous, right? That um, how, 
how often the narrative of people with Down syndrome is like, oh, people with Down syndrome are always sweet and always like good at at eye contact or always, um, you know, want to hug or whatever. You know, I think about the things when I when I first got ACEs diagnosis. Um, the amount of like cheese ball, um, well-meaning <laughs> yes. phrases people threw at me. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, besides just that he's an angel here to teach us, which I don't think is the reason that Ace is here. Um, <laughs> nor God that he's knew. an angel. God knew yeah. you could handle it. Yes, yes. Um, but <laughs> also like it's the danger of, it goes deeper than that of like putting hmm. every kid with Down syndrome into this category of um like being like sweet and happy or what, you know, whatever those things are that we throw around. I, I think about my friend Carrie, who I talk, have talked about so many times on this podcast and how she was just cranky most of the time. (laughs) And I'm so thankful for that because I feel like my experience of down syndrome was not this like, um, you know, always friendly, always making eye contact kind of, experience it was just Carrie who was like didn't want to make eye contact most of the time and was busy playing Barbie and you know would would talk to me when she she felt like it um so but yeah what do you guys think about that like how often we kind of throw those things around I feel like we as in anybody who doesn't know a person with down syndrome throws those things around you know? Yeah, th- I guess that's what I'm, we as a culture. Yeah, we, as a, we as a culture because it and it's funny. I I sometimes don't know what to do because, like, I don't want to throw Sunny under the bus, but I want to like <laughs> also bring reality to them when they oh oh, but they're the nicest people, mm-hmm. you know. And I don't want to be like, well, you know, you know, she's you should see what she does, you know. I don't want to say things that. She's got a pill. I know. <laughs> <laughs> A force to be reckoned with, but you also want to be bring some realism to the whole person in mm-hmm. all that's in entirety. Just because that is a per, she's a person with yes, and Absolutely. you don't want a pedestal too. Because I always said, and I've said it before, that sometimes when they when someone meets Sunny and they follow her on Instagram, and if she's like not into playing with them or even saying hi or giving them a hug and blows them off. I'm like, Ooh, don't judge her. She still has happy down syndrome. You know, like you just feel like they're on a pedestal to show off just being kind. And that's all they know how to do and be happy. Well, and that's the danger in general, right? Of, um, when that's what happens when we dehumanize someone in general, if you take away someone's humanity, then Mm -hmm. you can categorize somebody however you want to. Those people are like that. And whether it's a positive attribute or a negative attribute, if you take away their humanity, then you don't see the full spectrum. And I think one of the, the callings that we have to shout the worth of our kids is to also say they're humans, you know, like they have, they feel everything they experience. They're, they are sweet sometimes and they are not sweet sometimes they make eye contact sometimes and they don't make eye contact sometimes and um but yeah bring reality into Mm -hmm. into the conversation i love that micah humanity don't take away their humanity yeah and i (laughs) and i even feel like with this conversation today i'm really looking forward to this because i think within the down syndrome community when things fall outside of that like typical what what matches the typical down syndrome diagnosis yeah um that there there are those fears again going back to what i already said i just the amount of new parents who i've talked to are so afraid that their Mm -hmm. child's going to also have autism but then it's like but wait a second does that make that person less human you know Mm -hmm. like wait a second does that make that person less your child or does that diagnosis make your that your Mm -hmm. child less your child and like, like really tackling this conversation because i think what I've found, and I've talked to Tesney once we bring her out, we'll talk about it more. I've talked to her about this a little bit, is, and other parents who have, whose child have a dual diagnosis, is within the Down syndrome community, I think there's no doubt that we are just a fierce group who is yeah. instantly connected to one another. Um, you go into a space, like a, a conference, a retreat, you meet someone at the park, and you're like, you are my people, right? And we're mm-hmm. instantly have that bond, and it's incredible. I'm so thankful for that. But then there are people who have kids with a dual diagnosis and it's like, okay, within this sphere, 
still I don't totally feel understood or seen or heard. Mm. And yes, my kid has this, but they also have this. And let's be for each other holy. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not, not holy like, well, you know what I mean. With a W. With a w. With a W. <laughs> um, so I think there's obviously so much that we have to learn about this diagnosis. I know there is so much that I have to learn, and not just in the medical field, but in our own world, right, of parenting our kids with Down syndrome and, and being a part of this community. And so this season, we've been focusing on people who are shouting the worth of people with Down syndrome in their own spaces. And that's why I'm so thrilled that we have my friend Tesney Davis here, mm. because she is boldly telling the story of her son, Kirill who does have a dual diagnosis. Um, She's telling that story by showing up in her own spaces in her world. And then on Instagram, her handle is at down with autism. And so my dear, sweet, beautiful Tesney, welcome to the Lucky Few podcast. Hey guys, so glad to be here. I'm excited to spend some time chatting about Down syndrome and autism and what it's like to live uh, in a family who has a child with dual diagnosis. Thank you Very for cool. being here. Yay, yeah, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you, thank you. Tesney, we're so happy you're here and we love following your family's story online. Will you fill in our listeners who don't know you on your life, your family, where you live, and all that good stuff? <laughs> sure. I live in Tuscaloosa, Alabama with my husband, Greg. We've been married for almost 19 years and then we have two children clayton he's our biological son he's uh 12 and a half and we also have uh Kirill, who is our adopted son he's also 12 and a half they are 11 days apart yeah yeah so Kirill is actually uh 11 days older than clayton we did not plan it that way but god did and so um he was adopted from russia when both of the boys were five years old I'm also a licensed clinical clinical social worker. Um, I've mainly worked with children and adolescents in the mental health field, and currently I work for our city school system. We we know you have an amazing and powerful story of adopting Kirill from Russia, and we would love for you to share a little bit of that with us. So you tell us about how Kirill came into your life. Sure. I think I've always known that I would adopt a child. It sounds a little bit crazy, but um, when I was 16, I knew um, after volunteering with our local Special Olympics that I would have a child with Down syndrome. And that's the only way I know how to describe it. Um, I didn't know if that child would come to me biologically, if we would adopt, but I knew that that was something that was going to be a part of my life. And it was so strong that even when I met my husband, Greg, you know, seven years later, um, I had a conversation with him and said, look, I mean, we might as well not even take this relationship any further unless you're open to having a child with special needs. Um, You know, I, I just really feel like that I am going to parent a child with special needs, um, you know, either through adoption or biologically. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how um, that's going to play out, but I just, I know that God has placed that inside of my heart. And so we had Clayton, um, and when he was three months old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and we knew still that adoption, you know, was in the cards for us. Um, It it wasn't the top one diabetes that necessarily made us decide to adopt, but it did help us know that the timing was probably right to go ahead and start the process. We didn't know if we would have more biological children or not, but we did know that, you know, we, we wanted to adopt. And so we started looking into adopting children with Down syndrome. Um, it's a very long story that would tell it would take me longer than even this podcast to tell but to make a long story short we pursued um Kirill and he was in a region of Russia that was very difficult to adopt from um due to some circumstances with some failed adoptions and different things like that so the judge was very um cautious in granting um Americans the opportunity to adopt there but we were told if she gives you a court date you know it's all good and Kirill was actually the first child out of his region with a disability that had ever been adopted out of his region 
So when we got our court date, um, we knew this information, but we felt like since the judge had given us a court date, we were good to go. You know, our agency was like, everything's great. That if you get a court date, that means you're, you know, more than likely going to get approved unless you go in and say something really, you know, out there <laughs> that makes her decide on the spot to not approve you. So we went and we were prepared for 30 minutes of questioning. It ended up taking five hours. And oh, at the end of the five hours, what? she actually, yeah. So she actually denied our adoption. Um, based on the fact that Kirill had Down syndrome. And she said that she would approve us to adopt a child without Down syndrome, but she did not feel that children with Down syndrome were um, socially adaptable and that they were better off in an institution. So oh we came gosh. home absolutely devastated. <clears throat> Honestly, I don't recall a lot of things after the denial in the courtroom wow. to getting home except for just that I cried a lot during that time. And I think I was in shock. We got home. Our agency was very supportive, told us they would support us any, any way we could, gave us our options, which were to appeal and go to the Russian Supreme Court, where they said we would have about a 10% chance of being able to even have an opportunity to go back to his region and appear before a different judge. Wow. Or we could, you know, just stop, pursuing Kirill and be matched with another child, or we could just not, you know, just kind of bow out of the adoption process altogether. We chose to pursue Kirill um, and go to the Supreme Court in Russia. Uh, we went with five days worth of clothes, thinking that we were going to go to the Supreme Court and turn around and fly back with an answer of either, yes, you can come back in three months and have another hearing back in your in Kirill's region, or no, you cannot, you know, and, and the yeah. process is basically over. Mm -hmm. um, we actually, um, it was a miracle, and the Supreme Court actually granted his adoption right then and there. And we oh, were in Russia for a whole month after that, yeah. just waiting. I refused to leave without him after that. And so Mama. it's a really incredible story. It's very miraculous. Um, you know, I have never seen a miracle in person but mm -hmm. definitely was a mm -hmm. one we were able to bring him home just we had zero expectation of that was clayton with you guys or he was, clayton was not with us he was back okay. at home with my parents and that wow. was really difficult yeah he was yeah, five and um and especially us being unprepared for a month mm -hmm. you know right. we stay for five days and just and then go back again you know in three more months yeah. and then not really have a firm answer um, until that, but um, we, once we were approved, uh, there was a lot of things that we had to do, and it took, you know, about a month to get all the paperwork and get all of his visa, passport, all those things lined up, his medical examinations, um, and so we just stayed in country because I just was not going to go without him after, you know, being yeah. denied the first during that time in country, did you were you with him? Like he, you could visit him, or he was with you in a hotel? Or no, we were not. We were okay. not with him until the last two days. Um, oh, wow. We oh. actually had an American family who had been following our story online, and they uh, emailed us and offered for us to stay with them, and wow. we did. I love like that. crazy people. We just showed up with their, you know, with our suitcases at their door and uh, we, they were so gracious and they let us stay, live with them for the wow. better month. We were in Moscow waiting on all the documentation. Then we went to Kirill's region, which was about 12 hours away uh, by train and oh, wow. picked him up, took an overnight train back to Moscow, met with the embassy doctor, got rushed through the U.S. embassy, got on a train that night and flew home. I mean, it was, it was really and this last three days. Tesney, we noticed this first on your website, and we think it's so powerful. It says, once our eyes are open, we cannot pretend. We do not know what to do. God, who weighs our hearts and keeps our souls, knows we know and holds us responsible to act. What does that mean to you and your story with Kirill? I think, you know... When we realized, when we started pursuing adoption and we realized there were so many children with Down syndrome 
in institutions all over the world. Um, we knew that we had to act. We had to do something about that because if we didn't, we knew we were being disobedient. We knew that God knew that there was a child out there that needed a home and we had a home and we were open to bringing that child into our life. And I think it has really permeated throughout our whole life now. There's a lot of things that my eyes were closed to in the past. Um, and having Kirill has opened those, opened my eyes to all of those things because what I want for Kirill, I want for everybody else in the world, no matter, you know, their, their color, their race, their socioeconomic status, um, their sexual orientation. Like I want all those things that I want for Kirill for for everyone. And I feel like that now that we know those things, we have to act on them. So, you know, Kirill has really changed our, he's shifted our whole life perspective. I think we were very, um, closed, not closed minded, but I think we were kind of closed off to a lot of, um, other people groups in the world before we adopted Kirill and, mm -hmm. and having him and having to shout his worth and having to um, make a way for him made us realize, gosh, there's all these other people that are also forging paths mm -hmm. for yeah. their children and, you know, people in their same positions. So that to me, that verse just means when we know there's something wrong in this world, we know there's an injustice, we got to do something about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Amen. Preach that. Mm -hmm. And Tessie and I met at the Lucky Mamas retreat that I put together with Liz Plakta in October's every October. And she told me, she's telling me her story and she wants to write a book. And I'm like, girl, yes. 100%. <laughs> million percent write a book. Cause he, she really did just give like a tiny glimpse, um, the connections and the drama and the heartache and the beauty and all of that. It's just mm. a phenomenal it's a, an amazing adoption story. <laughs> like you said, a miracle, right? It's a pretty, it's a pretty incredible. Just the details were nuts and it's still crazy to think about. Yeah. Mm. So coming out in 2021, oh, 2022. I can't wait. <laughs> Christmas. Okay, Let's we'll do work it. on we'll make that. It happen. We'll work on that we'll make this it year. Happen. But so, okay. So you bring Krill home. Um, and then what's it like your home and what's it like? And, and with that question, what finally led you to, an autism diagnosis as well. Yeah. Well, when we brought him home, it was like survival mode. I think we knew when we met him in the orphanage that we were not facing just a diagnosis of Down syndrome. We had been told that he had a heart condition, which he didn't have. Um, we hadn't been told, you know, of course, they had an autism diagnosis, which he did have. And so we just we, when we met him, we knew there were some other things going on. And I remember going back to our hotel room and texting one of my really good friends and saying, I don't know if I can do this. Like it's so much more than down syndrome. Like he's, he's so tiny and he can barely walk and he has all these weird, I called them ticks at the time. Cause I didn't know what else to call them. It was stems. You know, I was like, he has all these weird things going on and I just don't know if I can do it. And she texted me back and said, just bring him home. We'll deal with whatever we have to face when he gets here, but just bring him home. So I knew I was like, okay, we've got people that are going to surround us. Um, and that did, that was very true. When we came home, we, um, we had people that just really loved us and surrounded us, but it still felt extremely lonely. Um, Krill was completely nonverbal at the same time as I was, you know, we were bringing Kirill home. Other friends were bringing home kids through adoption with Down syndrome or adopting children with Down syndrome. And I was just looking at their progress after they would come home. And I would think he's not doing these mm. things like this is different. And this looks very different than, you know, my friend's daughter who was in the same orphanage who was learning signs like 20 a week. And I'm like, he's not even making eye contact with me. You know, mm -hmm. he's not making sounds except for these primal guttural sounds is all I know how to describe them as. Mm -hmm. And, um, he, he would literally, I could put him in the, uh, kitchen floors where he 
he preferred to sit. I could put him in the kitchen floor and I could have left him there, I think, endlessly. And mm-hmm. he would have just sat there and rocked, you know, and, okay. and he could do these really crazy things with his fingers and, you know, just repetitive movements and repetitive sounds. And I was just like, this is not the expectation I have when, you know, I had when we agreed to adopt a child with Down syndrome. This is not how Down syndrome has looked in my yeah. life up until this point, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it, I think I grieved a lot during the first couple of years, probably just for what my expectation was of the child that we were bringing home. And then I think I also dealt with some just really extreme loneliness and and depression after because I didn't have anybody who was going through what I was going through. You know, I I had people who were going through the adoption of a child with Down syndrome, but they were celebrating all these milestones and I felt like we were just trying to survive, you know? Yeah. I, I really appreciate your vulnerability and honesty in sharing that. I, I was looking um, online and found a, a quote from you where you were talking about that, like that you, when you did your adoption paperwork, you literally checked boxes for disabilities you were open to having. And you you talked about that you didn't think you were cut out for autism and you didn't check the box. Um, I wondered if you're, because I think there are probably so many parents out there who are listening to this who are, looking at this possibility of a second diagnosis of autism and um, like how is your sense of being cut out for raising a child with autism changed how what has changed it and um, and what's your encouragement for the other um, parents out there who don't feel like they're cut out for autism I think that I was totally terrified of having a child with autism. I remember when I was pregnant with Clayton, our biological son, talking to the pediatrician about, you know, what if he's born with autism? And and then when he was born, oh, what about vaccines, you know, and mm-hmm. is that going to cause him to have autism? And, you know, all of those things that you hear and you're, you're terrified of. And it, it was honestly the one thing that I thought I could not handle if my child had autism. Um, I had worked in a a center for children with behavioral and emotional problems for six years early on in my um, career as a social worker. And we had an autism unit and I saw how difficult um, it was for some of those parents with Mm -hmm. their children. And I just thought I cannot do that. Like that cannot be my life. I just don't think I could handle it. And so when when we met Kirill and after he had been home for a couple of years, I, I would tell myself, these are just institutional behaviors. And, um, you know, the, these things that um, these social impairments and these communication impairments the, that he has and these repetitive movements that he does, those are just that's because he was an institution and those are going to drop off, you know, and we'll get him therapies and, you know, it's just because he was institutionalized. And, um, then as my love for Kirill grew, like it didn't matter if he had autism, right? Like he could have had autism from the beginning and it wouldn't have mattered. But as I started to realize that that's what it was. And in my mama's heart, I knew, you Mm. know, it didn't take long for me to know, um, that he was, he was going to have an autism diagnosis, but it was one of those things that just changed and evolved as my relationship with him changed and evolved. And honestly, now, like I seek to be around people with autism, like I used to seek to be around people with Down syndrome, (laughs) I still do seek to be around people with Down syndrome, but now I know the blessings that autism can bring, I just didn't know, you know, I just didn't know before I was looking as an outsider. And I think I was looking from a clinical perspective and not a mother's perspective. Mm -hmm. And that totally changed me. Um, And, you know, now I think that, that we see autism as another area in our life that, we're going to shout his worth, you know, we're going to 
tell people that autism is not scary. It's not the worst thing that could happen. In fact, there's a lot that we celebrate with autism, just like we celebrate with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. celebrate. Yes. <laughs> I think honestly, the community of families living with a dual diagnosis is still super fringe. It's just like a fringe thing. And in my opinion, it doesn't it just doesn't get talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially even within our DS communities, which is why I love your voice and other parents like you who are speaking out about it and mm-hmm. not, yeah, just who are speaking out about it. And it's, I think it's just super important. So I want, I just want you to talk a little bit about what it's like to keep showing up in this community. And I, when I'm saying this community, I think two ways, like showing up in the down syndrome community, mm-hmm. um, in that space specifically, even though your experience and curls is so different and showing up in commu- your community and maybe how they're different, how that's the same. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, I think the importance of, of keeping showing up and, and just keeping on um, talking about this. One thing is, like you said, it's so new and it's such a um, a fringe, like you said, group of, of parents and, and people who are dealing with a dual diagnosis that it it kind of does get a little bit in the background. Mm. Um, and so within the Down syndrome community, I think it's important because A, there there are a, a group of us that have kids with a dual diagnosis, just like there's a lot of parents in the Down syndrome community that are dealing with heart defect or that are dealing with, you know, speech apraxia or that are dealing with type 1 diabetes. You know, there's a lot of things that go along with Down syndrome sometimes, and autism is just one of those things. Um, I think to demystify it and make Mm. it less scary is important for Mm. the Down syndrome community. Um, It's interesting. We will go to events where, um, you know, we're celebrating Down syndrome buddy walk or, you know, 321 celebration or whatever. And um, Kirill does present very differently from a lot of his peers with Down syndrome. And so people don't really know what to do with that. They Mm -hmm. don't know how to approach him a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And we've even had um, professionals really just, we had a speech therapist once that just was like, I really don't know what to do with him because I've never had to deal with a dual diagnosis. She's Mm -hmm. no longer speech therapist. Right. So it's it's one of those things where it, it is new. We are all still learning about it. I'm still learning about it. I'm not an expert. I'm seven and a half years into this journey and I still learn something new every day. So that's one reason I think it's important just so that we do feel like there's other people out there like us. We're not lonely. And just to say this is a, a group of people with Down syndrome that are, you know, are just as amazing, you know, and they're not scary. And and just to to make it a more normalized thing. Um, And also, I think apart from the Down syndrome community, in our spaces, like in our communities, in our church, uh, in our neighborhood, um, in our school, I think it's important because, you know, we're at a point where autism is becoming so common. You know, we've got one in 59 kids now are being um, diagnosed with autism. That's the 2018 wow. statistic. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be people with autism in our spaces. They're going to yes. be in our world and they deserve to be there and they deserve yes. to have a seat at the table. And an inclusive world to me doesn't mean that we say, oh, you're, you're welcome here. That's great. I mean, I feel like Kirill is welcome almost every place we go. However, I don't feel like that this space is made to accommodate his needs sometimes right. or made to, to give him um, the ability to participate in his surroundings. Mm-hmm. And I think with autism, that's what, as a world, we're going to have to start doing mm-hmm. um, because we're we're missing a huge chunk of our population that have so much to bring to the table because we are just either scared or uncertain mm-hmm. or uneducated. Yeah, I want to go off on a, on a tangent here. Do you guys mind? You can edit it out if we need to. Okay, I want to talk because you're using the term inclusion, which is a hot term mm-hmm. in our society in general, in the Down syndrome world. And I, 
I find in the spaces I'm in, in the Down syndrome community, we're talking inclusion often equals education, inclusive mm-hmm. education, and like the huge push, right, for our kids with Down syndrome to be fully included in their general education classrooms. And this is a platform I stand on and I say, but my, my phrasing is inclusion is good for most people with a different ability. It's good yeah. for all people who don't. Um, but I, I find within that most people that the category where maybe it's not is oftentimes someone on the autism spectrum. Um, will you tell us your thoughts and feelings about inclusive education for your mm-hmm. son specifically? And you can go broader if you want. Sure. So inclusive education is super important for us too. We are, um, we are advocates for inclusive education, especially in the Down syndrome world, e- even in the autism world. Like I think that for most people, that is the best thing. Mm-hmm. However, being Kirill's mom, <laughs> I've learned that that is being in a gen ed classroom for him is not best for him. Mm-hmm. Um, we want him to be included in his world and in his surroundings and in his schools. So we come up with creative ways to make that happen while still providing his um, educational needs in a smaller self-contained classroom where he can get the instruction and the attention that he needs. And he's not overwhelmed. He gets very overwhelmed in spaces where there's a lot of people or sometimes where there's a lot of transition or a lot of noise. Um, And the kids at his school are fabulous. They don't, they don't, they love him. They, they want him to be around for the most part. Um, He, however, needs his own space. Mm-hmm. And he needs to have a place where he can go and, and quietly focus and learn. Now, that looks very individualized for mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And I think that's what special education and in, in, in inclusion should be. You know, mm-hmm. it should depend on the person and it should be individualized. It, right. it should be whatever is best for the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that does not, you know, autism is a spectrum disorder. So... Mm-hmm. There's people all over the spectrum. Um, Kirill is affected a lot by his autism diagnosis. He has a lot of social impairments. He has a lot of communication difficulties. He has a lot of sensory issues or his, I would say, overwhelmingly um, obvious challenge, you know, to the outside world or even just in our life the sensory issues are kind of what take the stage. Um, And so being in a gen ed classroom for him is not best. Mm -hmm. However, he does go into the general classroom, Mm -hmm. you know, and he does have opportunities where peers come to him and he has peer um, friends and mentors. And, and then we also get inclusion in all the other spaces in our life. Our church is extremely um, inclusive with Kirill, they, yeah, I mean, he's just a part of things, you know, it's, he's, it's not unusual (laughs) to them to have Kirill around. Our church is also pretty welcoming of lots of disabilities. So I will say we're very blessed in that, in that area. Um, and just our friends, you know, they know him now and he, he is Kirill and they know that. So they, they just welcome him. And they, the thing that I appreciate, I will say this, um, inclusion in friendships and, and us being able to have a community of friends and, and for Kirill to have a community of friends. I appreciate it so much when, let's say somebody invites us to their house and they say, how can we make this a space where Kirill's going to feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I love that, that. Just that one question I know we can go there and it's going to be just fine. And because if they don't ask that question, I'm already thinking of the 18 million things that I've got to do to make sure Kirill doesn't do something destructive or do something, you know, uh, to harm himself or, you know, just so it's so nice to me when somebody just says, what can we do to make Kirill feel comfortable? You know, I love that. I, I have I a close too. friend. Um, they live a few blocks from us, and we moved in June. And when she found out we were moving, she has girls the same age as Macy, my oldest. And she said, she contacted me ahead of time and said, hey, I don't know how to create a friendship. 
between Macy and my daughter. How can we do this best? And it's Aww. like, yes, just at, like, it's okay not to know, that. right? We right. can't know what we don't know, right. but be willing to learn and just ask the question. Yeah. Like how, Hey, what do you need? Oh, that's a great, great question. Here's what I need. And then you know that you're entering a space that's really is a safe space for your children and your family as a whole. And at first, my inclination was to say, oh, nothing, you know, we'll be fine. And for me to take on the responsibility of making their home a safe space. But I've learned that most people, when they ask that question, they sincerely want to, you know, make it a safe space. So now I will say, you know, well, if you have a dog, could you just like Mm -hmm. kennel him at first? Or, you know, he loves dogs, but he loves them a little too much, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if you have you know, um, stairs, could you just make sure that, um, there's some kind of barrier maybe that we could put in front of the stairs? Cause he's also visually impaired. So stairs are kind of a, you know, difficulty for him. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it, it's something that I've had to get used to and be open to as well to graciously accept those. Yeah. Definitely. Sometimes being an advocate is saying yes. Mm-hmm. To and, help. Yeah. We just, mm-hmm. we, um, our episode with Amanda Booth that was earlier in the season, she was talking about just like being brave enough at the park to stand up and say something when, mm-hmm. um, when a, like, you know, say it in a kind way, but when a kid was being mean to her son instead of just crying later about it, you know? And like being an advocate in is so much about the small like yeses or the small, Mm -hmm. like I'm going to embrace this moment and I'm going to use it as an opportunity. And, but I love the idea of thinking about it that way, Tesney, that this is, you're like, you're an advocate in, in accepting the help from the people who love you. Yeah. And giving them an opportunity for advocacy, right? I feel Mm -hmm. like there's so many people in our lives who they're like, I just don't know what to do. And that's such a sweet, simple way. Like, Oh, invite us over for dinner and make sure your house is a safe place for a welcoming safe place for our family like that's totally but that's huge that's actually not a tiny thing right that's right right. like first invite us over for dinner i don't know when that happened last you know like i know that we're a circus (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna like kind of go off on a tangent about that because that's been something as sunny's gotten older she's five now you know i have a ton of friends i've grown up in my same area i have a, a ton of friends and I don't mean to say that like you guys. So just, let me list them to you. No, I just mean though, for the amount of friends I have, I don't think I. I mean, I could count on one hand how many friends have actually sought me and Sunflower for their children and for yeah. that kind of awareness that kind of friendship out for their kids like I can't say that happens often so Mm-mm. and I don't know Tesney if that is something true also with that extra diagnosis uh, um, diagnosis of autism and how that kind of played into your loneliness because as Sunny got older you know the birthday parties you know, when you're friends and you all have babies at the same time, of course, everybody's just invited to the birthday parties, you know, and then slowly Sunny wasn't or and then another time she was like, I don't know, all of a sudden I could see a divide. OK, she's welcome here. And it wasn't spoken. It was unspoken of where mm-hmm. what was easy for the other people to manage. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I feel like that's a whole nother episode about friendship. <laughs> yeah. Your inner circle, how that kind of changes or how that shifts a little bit. But it does mean the world and I feel like it connects you more when a friend goes out of their way to be like okay don't know how to do this but I really desire this for my life for my children's life for our relationship I just think it it's so huge yeah the birthday parties are killer I mean I think that that was when we started to really see the divide too um when he was little we could take him and he could do things but as he got older now the birthday parties are like spend the night parties or their video game parties or their, you know, things that he really isn't interested in. Um, or just it's not possible for him for whatever reason. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's been a little bit of a challenge and my my heart does break a little bit. People still will invite him, which I appreciate, but I have found myself going, gosh, what are we going to do when we get there? You know, and sometimes they will say, 
you know, it's going to be a video game party, you know, so would Kirill enjoy that, you know, and then I'm, I have an opportunity to say, well, we can bring his iPad, he can hang out, you know, he'll enjoy that alongside of them. But it does kind of make me realize that um, the differences, you know, it, it does kind of put those right there in your face. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One of the big ways you show up, Tesney, um, and shout the worth of people living with a dual diagnosis is through social media. I know that there's a lot of emphasis in Down syndrome social media circles um, to get our kids fully included, dreaming of them going to college, um, but that's not always the best for kids with dual diagnoses. I don't know how to put an S in the dual diagnosis. There you go. Diagnoses. Diagnoses. Ah, the dual diagnoses. (laughs) That was a learning moment for me, guys. Thank you. (laughs) On air. Uh, On air. Um, How are you creating space for those parents in a similar situation to talk and encourage each other so that they don't feel left out of the conversation? Yes. Go. Yeah, frankly, I... For a long time, I just wanted him to have the Down syndrome diagnosis, and I was a little resistant to actually admitting that he did have autism. And mm. you know, I can say that now, and I'm I'm frank about it. You know, because I I think that's normal. You know, I, I think that's what all moms go through. Um, and so. One of the ways is I'm just honest about it. You know, I'm honest about the struggles that go along with accepting that dual diagnosis. It took us, um, I guess we started seeking the diagnosis five years after we brought him home. Um, I knew that it was probably autism, but um, I, I really didn't see a point in seeking the diagnosis because I felt like we were gonna, um, address the, the difficulties and the challenges that he faced because of autism in the same way, whether or not he had the diagnosis or not. Mm -hmm. Now I see the importance of actually having the diagnosis because it does open him up to uh, receiving some more services in our state just because of insurance, you know, and what they will and will not cover with an autism diagnosis. And then also um, just to help people understand Kirill, I really don't love labels, but Mm-hmm. people know about autism, mm-hmm. you know, in the world. And when they would see Kirill before, they would be like, well, he has Down syndrome, but he really doesn't fit the box that I know of mm. Down syndrome. And so now when I say he has Down syndrome and autism, they're kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like that gives them a framework to work with on getting to know him. Um, and then um, also I think just the – simple things. Like I changed my Instagram name to down with autism because I wanted people to know that's the life that we're living. We're living a life where, yes, it took us a little while to get here, but we are totally down with autism diagnosis. We have down syndrome and autism. And now we're not only advocating for down syndrome, we're advocating for autism and we are advocating for our kids to be seen as worthy and as um, deserving and as a a valuable part of our world. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just as I've come along on this journey of embracing my son and all of of his parts, you know, everything that makes Mm -hmm. Kirill Kirill. um, I think that just like I said before with um, I have expectations that he should have the same rights as other people. So I, mm-hmm. I want to put that out there. You know, right. I, I want people to know now. Yeah. And I think with that, like the same rights as other people might not mean that he gets a Ruby's Rainbow Scholarship and goes to college. I'm not saying, he, I'm not claiming that on him. But I know I feel that a lot, even with my Mason. It's like, I'm going to cheer on the people in the Down Syndrome world who are getting a, a high school diploma. Mason's not going to be that. And and I don't mean, I just, because I know, I just know, right? And and there, I, I get that, that there can be this, like, feeling left out. Um, but it's like, no, we're just going to embrace our kids fully for who they are. Right. Where they are in their space and know that they're valuable and worthy. And it does they don't have to do A, B, C, and D to be valuable and worthy. Yes. 
just like we do our other kids like totally my boys could play please god don't but my boys (laughs) could want to drop out of high school you know and like i'm just like we can't be sad or i mean i i don't know we got to try not to put different standards or expectations just because of a diagnosis Mm -hmm. yeah and i kind of went on a rabbit trail there one you know one other thing you mentioned like ruby's rainbow like I mean, I'm super involved with that. Like, I'm yeah. She's wearing the shirt right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm all about. Like I said, I want to advocate for people with Down syndrome, whatever that looks like for them. You know, I want to champion them and being able to do whatever they want to do. And the same thing goes for people with autism now. You know, and people with dual diagnosis. And so, yeah, I'm very realistic about Kirill. I. I know, just like you said, Heather, I know that I know that he will be with us for the rest of his life. And I'm totally cool with that. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to build a world, you know, where he has a place Mm -hmm. and, you know, that he may not look like every other kid that's graduating high school and go into college, but he has his space and he is accepted in other spaces. Right, right. Yeah, I think we just have to get away from like the, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here in this therapy (laughs) session. Thank you. Like getting out of the spaces of comparison and just going into celebration. I'm going to celebrate you because your kid's going to college and has Down syndrome or your kid's doing this. And I'm going to celebrate my kid because my kid's doing whatever. I'm not going to compare the two. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much more joyful to do that. Right. I mean, like I have so much joy now instead of looking at, cause I think I admitted this earlier, people that were coming home with their kids with down syndrome and I would compare, you know, okay, they're learning 20 signs in a week and Kirill's not learning. He hasn't learned a single sign yet. Well, you know what? So what? I mean, Kirill has, he can rock better than anybody in the world. (laughs) Yeah. Get it. Kirill. (laughs) Awesome rhythm. And then I just started, instead of being jealous or frustrated, I would look at them and I'd go, man, that is so incredible. Good for them. Like how happy they must be. Just like I'm happy when, you know, Kirill has a breakthrough. So it's, it's really changed me a lot and it's helped with feeling lonely and, Mm -hmm. and sad. Instead now I just have a lot of joy. Yeah. I love that. Tesney, have you been able to build a community of people who do have a dual diagnosis online? Do you have um, online friends now who are walking that same road? Yeah, I do. I have I have a few. I wouldn't say it's like a big group, but okay. um, it's funny. We were flying to, I can't remember where we were flying to, but Greg and I were flying. We had the boys with us and the stewardess um, that was helping us or the flight attendant, sorry, want to be <laughs> politically correct, but um, the, the flight attendant, she came over to us and she, she straight up asked me, does he have Down syndrome and autism? And I was like, yes. And she was like, my son does too. And she gave oh, me her card. So like I just connecting that. with people like that or, um, you know, at our lucky mama's retreat, Heather yeah. got to hear me um, just cry my eyes out because there was another mama there that had yeah. a child who had a dual diagnosis and we connected and and Mm -hmm. have a strong connection so it is I get to have that you know what my life is like with people with Mm -hmm. down syndrome and then sometimes you know I feel like well you don't really (laughs) but there there is that same feeling with with people who connect with that have a dual diagnosis so yeah it's growing I think as the diagnosis grows too and becomes more talked about in the Down syndrome world and recognized. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's important, and I did want to note this. Um, I do think it's important if a parent thinks that their child may have a dual diagnosis and um, they are seeking that autism diagnosis or just not seeking it. That sounds like, you know what I'm saying. I, if they think that it could be a possibility and they want to get their child evaluated to see if they have a dual diagnosis, make sure that you go to somebody that's experienced in diagnosing Down syndrome and autism mm. uh, as a dual diagnosis because it is important to um, use the correct uh, you know tools to to do the measurements and things like that to see. 
um, with children with down with Down syndrome. I, I think that it can be confusing sometimes because, like you said, Heather, they do present with some similarities and mm-hmm. some some symptoms that are associated with Down syndrome are also associated with autism. But I think if you get somebody who is a professional and who sees it, you know, on a regular basis that, that they're able to do that. So it took us a year and a half to get it for that reason. Um, Mm. we, we, yeah, we had to, um, we had to um, send in our paperwork to get an appointment and it took about a year and a half to get in with this, this clinic that, had experience with it. And and it was a two day evaluation. So, you know, I do just strongly encourage people to really seek somebody who knows what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. That's, um, that's can you, I know that we're, you're the only one in Alabama, at least in this room <laughs> on this phone call, <laughs> but other people listening might be, can you tell us what that center is? Like if someone is in Alabama and they're like, absolutely. Okay. So we're really lucky to be in a college town. Um, we're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and we have an autism clinic at, our university and the autism clinic there um, has a psychologist that um, and speech therapist, a speech language pathologist, and other professionals that you know have seen this on a regular basis. Um, we also have the Rise Center here in Tuscaloosa, so you know we have a lot of uh, families with children with Down syndrome that even just move here to be a part of that. Wow. So I think we have a lot of people in our community with Down syndrome, a lot of people with autism, and for that reason, we do see the dual diagnosis here probably a little bit more and that center sees it a little bit more because it's a it's a university you know teaching center and they have a lot of people that come there to to seek the autism diagnosis whether they have down syndrome or not or to be evaluated yeah. that's great and we will link that in our show notes yeah awesome sure. they're great they're fabulous we love them and um you know we've been talking all season about being advocates about shouting the worth of our children with Down syndrome in our spaces. And um, can you just, uh, as we kind of close up here, um, speak to the parents who's, who are listening whose child does have a dual diagnosis or who think that maybe their child has a dual diagnosis. What does it mean for them to be an influencer in their spaces, wherever they are? I think you know, it's normal to have some kind of feelings surrounding a a dual diagnosis at first. I think, though, um, we are given a very unique opportunity um, in parenting children with a dual diagnosis um, to really platform this life that we're living as, as something that can be a very positive thing and I, I don't mean to paint it as sunshine and rainbows okay because it is not like yeah. you know I'll just get down and dirty with you Krill's 12 he's not potty trained that's not fun mm-hmm. you know that's a really negative thing that I hate about his autism mm-hmm. you know however I think that in that comes there's a lot of support, you know, there's a lot of people that want to support you and they want to do things. So really just trying to um, look for those connections, look for those ways that you can. And again, not that Kirill is like put out there as a, I don't throw him out there as an example. I'm very protective of him, of course, but I'm also very open and transparent about our life. So I would just encourage other parents who have that dual diagnosis, like don't hide it. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It mm-hmm. there's so much joy and positive things that come out of having a child with a dual diagnosis. And also just to seek somebody like, you know, I know you guys are gonna link my information, like seriously reach out to me because mm-hmm. I'm so happy to talk to parents who are um dealing with a dual diagnosis. Like I said, I'm not an expert, but I'm seven and a half years in <laughs> of, yeah. you know, parenting a child with a dual diagnosis. And um we have reached a spot in our life where I really feel like like we're we're great. You know, we're yeah. good with this. And so um I, I really want other people to know that it can be a fantastic life. That's awesome. Tessie, thanks for making yourself available like that. And I do hope that people listening um, who need you call you and contact mm-hmm. you. And I know that, that she's serious about that. So I love, I love this community. Thankful that you were here. 
Um, and right before we end our episode here, we do something on the podcast called Good News. And we would love for you to stick around and share a little piece of good news about your krill, if you don't mind doing that. So we're going to um, we're gonna go to our sponsor. We'll be right back. All right, friends, I'm so excited to talk a little bit more about Jonas Paul eyewear for kids. So Mason started wearing glasses years ago, and we searched and searched for an at-home try-on kit um, with cute glasses. I mean, girlfriend is super stylish, so she needed some really stylish glasses. And I was so excited when we happened upon Jonas Paul eyewear for kids. They have these incredible kits that they send home and they're try-on kits and it's totally free. They'll send these kits home and the kids get to try on all the different frames, wear them around the house, risk-free, see which ones you love. And then when you decide on a pair, you send them all back, let them know what pair you want and you buy an incredibly affordable an adorable pair of glasses without having to leave your house. Here's another thing I love about Jonas Paul eyewear. So Mason has Down syndrome, as all of you know, and her it's hard to find glasses that stay on her face. Jonas Paul has this really great aspect about their eyewear, and it's an adjustable tip. So not everybody realizes this about their glasses, but every time I see someone who is going crazy over Macy's glasses, which is basically everywhere we go. I take them off and I show them the adjustable tip because it has been a game changer for us with Macy getting to wear adorable glasses and we can adjust the tip majorly so that they fit her really well. And I know for a fact that if you have a child who needs glasses, there is not a better company out there. So when you have, as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, you're gonna go visit jonaspauleyewear.com Use promo code the lucky few to get 15% off your first order. And trust me, you are going to thank us. All right, friends, we are back and it is time for our favorite. Look, I started singing. Most exciting Most moment exciting. of every episode. Every we call episode. And we call it the good news. Good news. In your face, okay. all oh over the place. Good In news. Your Okay. okay, we're going to create a whole song. Good news. Um, we are going to start with Tesney again. Good news is the portion of our podcast where we just want to hear from people. Those of us who are in this Down Syndrome world, we know that our kids are doing incredible things constantly, um, but we also know that we celebrate in ways that not everyone, everyone raising a kid without Down Syndrome celebrates, and that's something unique that we get to do. And so good news is you can celebrate anything massive, like your child survived open heart surgery. We will celebrate that their first step we'll celebrate that pooped in the potty biggest news of the world we will celebrate that whatever it is that your child is up to so tesney can you tell us some good news yeah so this week we have been working on signing mama and daddy forever with mm. literally seven and a half years um because he doesn't like to use his um, fingers very much like he has a lot of sensory issues of, about his hands so signing even though he can sign some it's not his favorite way to communicate um, and so this week he started signing mama and we are oh so like, it was yeah it was amazing so so now he'll do it um, like especially if we tell him to do it because we like get super excited when he does it <laughs> and throw a little party and he thinks that's the greatest thing so now we're working on daddy because you know daddy's jealous <laughs> but he's that. got mama so That's and so hey cool. when he does potty train because he's going to um i'm coming back on for yeah, that you call us up girl yeah <laughs> that's right we will have a, a side episode just with you when you want to share that all right because that is huge that's beautiful so good all right. Thank you so much to our listeners. We love hearing your stories. We love hearing what you're celebrating. We love connecting with you over good news. So thanks to everybody who called in this week. And Tesney Davis, we can't thank you enough for being here today, for being the advocate and shouter of worth that you are for Kirill and for all our kids. 
And um, to all of our listeners, remember that you can follow Tesney and um, and her story at Down With Autism on Instagram. Hmm. That's right. And anything you've heard today that you would need a link to will be in our show notes on the luckyfewpodcast.com. As always, a big thank you to our editor and producer, Andrew Lara, and our intern, Valerie Schleider, our sponsor, and all of you who have shared the Lucky Few podcast with friends who have listened faithfully and cheered us on. It means more to us than you'll ever know. So don't forget to subscribe. And as soon as you're done listening, head on over and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, the more reviews we have, the more subscriptions, the like the algorithm bumps it to the top and the more people get to hear these incredible conversations. So please do that. And then remember, dear listener, that you are out there loving your kids. You are a shouter of worth and you mm-hmm. are a narrative shifter. So keep it up. Don't grow weary. We are here cheering you on. Mm-hmm. And we will see you next Monday on the Lucky Few Podcast. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Lucky Few Podcast. Review our show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our new home at anchor.fm slash the Lucky Few Pod, where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. Visit Anchor or our website, www.theluckyfewpodcast.com, to begin supporting us today. Follow us on all social media at the Lucky Few Pod. Tell us about your good news by leaving us a voicemail or text at 424-442-9147. Our show is edited and produced by Andy Lara at andylikeswords.com. See you next time, and thanks for listening.